Hello, everyone. Welcome to Collisions YYC Current and Critical. I'm your host, Tyler Chisholm. Thank you for joining me today for another good old-fashioned chat. It's a new year on the podcast, and I'd like to introduce you to some changes that we're making to the show. We're excited to introduce our partnership program. This will allow us to showcase more of the leaders, innovators, and organizations who are at the forefront of the economic transformation happening in our city and our province. Take a few minutes and be curious. Visit their websites, check them out on social media, and most importantly, get involved where you can. Today's show is brought to you in partnership with Clear Motive Marketing. Full transparency, folks. I am one of the co-founders of Clear Motive Marketing. I have had the privilege and the amazing opportunity to be involved with my current business partner, Chad Kroger, since 2010. And it has been a fantastic ride and just an amazing, amazing journey. But I'm coming here today not as a co-founder, but as a client. Over a year ago, I brought the idea of the podcast to the team, presented the challenges, presented the opportunity, presented why I was excited about it, and they worked with me to create a plan. We built a strategy, we built the brand, we built the website, and they helped me execute, and they helped me execute day in and day out as we are constantly going live with with new, new episodes. They also were a huge help in building the audience, which can be the most challenging things, whether you're a company, with a product or a service, or just a new idea that you need to get out there. So we've grown organically from over 200 downloads last December to over 2,000 this December, which is an all-time record for the show, something we're really proud of, and I couldn't have done it without the ClearMotive team backing me at every step of the way. They specialize in helping brands that operate in fast-paced, highly competitive industries, which, let's be honest, is, is everyone these days, to deliver more consistently and more effectively day in and day out, something that we all know can be an incredible challenge in marketing with the pace of the always-on mindset. With offices and teams in both Calgary and Toronto, they work to make clients better marketers. So if you need a new website, a new brand, or simply a new efficient way to produce and deliver and get your get your creative and market, and get connected with your customers, give us a call and let's have a good old-fashioned chat. Check out our work and our case studies at www.clearmotive.ca. Well, good morning and welcome to my guest, Mr. Jim Hill. How are you, Jim? Fine. Glad to be here. Thanks so much for coming on the show. We were introduced by, you know, I'll say a mutual friend, Miss Megan Zanuck, who I just released uh, Megan's episode last week, which is taken off. She is just a powerhouse of an individual, of a lady, of a business person, of, of, of a human. I, she's quickly becoming one of my, after an hour talking with her, she's, uh, she's high energy. And when her and I were chatting about the retail world and what she's doing over at SB, your name came up and she put, and she said, you know what, Tyler, you know, you need to talk to, you need to talk to Jim. He is a successful businessman here in town, which will maybe get you to share a little bit about that. But also you are, um, um, a real estate owner and someone who has uh, retail commercial space available. So a perspective on that side of the house, you can't, you can't open a headline without hearing about the abundance of certainly commercial space that we have available in the city. So happy to have someone on the show to share a perspective from maybe the ownership side of the house. So maybe Jim, let's give the audience a little bit of kind of your background, who you are, and then let's get into this commercial real estate conversation. Okay. Well, I guess to back up a bit, we, uh, my wife and I came to Calgary in 1975 I got in the oil patch in the early 80s, and uh, it, we did well in it, and uh, we really wanted to give something back to Calgary. So we, uh, we, we looked around Calgary, and we thought that the uh, visual arts space was kind of underserved in Calgary, mm-hmm. and uh, we thought about you know, creating some kind of a, a venue. And uh, it's easy enough to put up a building, but the hard part is how do you finance it afterwards? And most art, most art institutions are constantly fundraising government grants, struggling to stay afloat and just exhausting their staff. So I thought, well, rather than have a standalone art institution, what if we had a, you know, a commercial building and inside of it, we had our art space, which is the Esker Foundation, which is the top of Atlantic Avenue Art Block. 
And, um, and then rather than exhausting your staff, raising money um, to support the artist institution, maybe the commercial aspects of the building uh, can support, you know, both the mortgage and the art institution. And maybe there's a symbiotic relationship between tenants who appreciate art, appreciate having something like Esker in their building and um, makes kind of a, an art and, and commerce community brought together. And that's exactly what's happened with Atlantic Avenue Art Block. So we're very happy with that. The uh, Esker. That's fantastic. How long is that? How long is that? But I'll be honest, I know about it and I've heard of it, but I've never gone and like had an actual connection to it. So it's good to hear you kind of break it. Um, probably a lot of things in Calgary. There's a lot of amazing things in the city that we don't always hear about as Calgarians because we, we keep our heads down too much doing, wor doing work. How long has the Esker Foundation been in place? The Esker opened up in uh, 2012. About okay. about a year or two after the Atlantic Avenue Art Block opened with Megan, um, and uh, it's, you know I, I think we put on art shows the caliber of any place in uh, in Canada. We often get people coming into Esker and say they can't believe it. So it reminds them of you know a major museum in New York City. So that's that's good to hear. That's too, but I, that's also it's a compliment. Where I can't believe this is in Calgary comes out as some of the feedback, right? Right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> And so from a, from a rethinking, like rethinking a way to manage a commercial space. So clearly that was already from a mindset, from your perspective, say like, how can we tackle this differently? So how can we, you know, pursue our commercial, our, our endeavors of building a building, but then how do we bring and integrate it in? And I think that's interesting because there always seems to be this divide between art and commerce and never the two should meet. And it makes it, uh, it's interesting that you were able to bring them together successfully into what I would imagine from a, from a visitor or a tenant perspective is an elevated environment that you created. Absolutely. And, you know, it, it shows because the original tenants we had in, you know, 2010, 2011, when we opened up the building, they're still the same tenants today. So um, people do like the building, do like the community. And, uh, you know, we, uh, we had some land that we bought at the same time as we bought the land under Atlantic Avenue Art Block in Esker. Back in the 90s, we had some land across the street, so we developed that as well. And that's um, rather than the office and retail, that's residential and retail. The residential, okay. we, uh, we, we started leasing the building three days before the lockdown in, in, uh, in the spring. The residential leased right out faster than we expected, even before COVID. And so it's 100% leased for residential. Again, people appear to be very happy in the building. Uh, retail is coming. That's obviously going to be a struggle. But... Um, I really believe in in the vibrancy of city streets, the uh, you know the need for uh, interesting retail. Um, years ago, we when I first started looking at, at at retail, when I was starting to learn a little bit about it, uh, somebody said to me, "You know, you notice how all the retail in most new buildings is boring. There's a you know it's nothing but banks and you know major chain retailers." And, and of course, Inglewood, Inglewood is always different because it had a disproportionate number of owner-manager retailers. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that it gives, a, it gives a lot of vibrancy to the street, but also gives a lot of gray hair to the landlord because most <laughs> because fair. O, o, most, most owner-managed owner businesses really don't have a very strong balance sheet behind them. Yes. So you've got to be creative. And um, yeah, I guess I... I've had a good relationship with Megan, as, as, as you mentioned, um, she, you know, you, you end up being both sort of the landlord and maybe an unpaid business consultant. 
Um, that, that, she didn't. I don't think she used that words, but her version, like, I don't. He's not my landlord. He's my partner. He's in it with me. He's concerned about where I'm going as a business. He's there to help and support. Understands my realities. It was a very different story than I often hear. The classic, I'll be up blunt, adversarial relationship that often exists between tenant and landlord. And I think it's been like that since the beginning of time, but maybe somewhat unfortunately. Yeah, and I think you know you, you got you, you know you got to you got to look at the big picture, obviously. If the tenant doesn't survive, you're not going to survive as the landlord. And, yes. and I, I never understood the adversarial relationship because in the end, you're effectively burning down your own house. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, yep. there's, there's empty, yeah, there's empty space all over town, but we still got our tenants in that building. And um, so it's, it's important to work with them. And uh, I guess the more, it's kind of a two-way street. The more, the more I work with the tenants, the more I learn more about retail, right? Because I've never actually managed a retail business myself. I've had right. lots of other management experience, but not directly in retail. So, um, which is its own, which is its own beast for sure. There's no question. Yeah. So, when you obviously COVID came down as it did for all of us, as a landlord, as someone with you know, you were bringing online some retail space, and obviously you said you had su- su- success from the residential perspective, which maybe we can touch on that in a minute. But from the retail kind of that that ground level experience, what were your thoughts in terms of and how has maybe that evolved over the last eight months? We all kind of went into COVID untested and un- unaware, and but things have evolved as businesses. What's your perspective on where? Re- even retail's heading in Calgary, even from your own, you have a vested interest in where it goes in the future. Right, right. Um, well, I think I maybe have maybe a slightly different opinion than a lot of people. Um, you know, maybe you know, maybe it's partly my age, being seventy years old. Um, it, it's kind of ironic that you know we made most of our money with a company called Payson, an oil oil field service company, very high in technology. But at other times, I think I'm more of a luddite, where I'm anti-technology. Um, you know, obviously there was, there was quite a trend in retail long before COVID about this transition from uh, bricks and mortar to online. And, uh, and that really, uh, that, that transition really ramped up once people were locked in their, in their homes. Yes, and <laughs> interestingly, it almost seemed that, that certain business were, were preparing for this all along. Um, Amazon. Yes, it did. Uh, there was definitely winners and quote yeah. unquote, like I don't want to say losers, but there was there were people that were well positioned as almost they were re- like they were ready to scoop up their new reality really exactly. Quickly. Yeah, Amazon, Zoom, Netflix, and uh, but but I, I found it kind of kind of very um, disturbing almost that um, you know you can you know you can sit in your living room in your house and you can work, you can socialize, you can get exercise, you can order your food, you can order your your, your clothes. Really, everything you need to have a very rich and fulfilling life as an 85-year-old who isn't mobile is, is, now, <laughs> is now available to you. And yet, why are, why are so many young mobile people so happy to trade in their mobility for this really kind of you know, stark lifestyle? Um, Interesting perspective. I, I, I like how you threw the word eighty-five in there very strategically. <laughs> but I mean, because you know, no, you're right. The, all those experience. Yeah. What what are you what are you trading or what 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 is the trade off in the short term and the long term? It might feel like convenience, but right. what is the longer term thing that all of a sudden there's going to be a sense of hollow or a lack of experience that's going to exist in your life? Exactly. I mean, I don't know if you're a, a science fiction fan, Tyler, but I remember some of these older shows where they you had these brains in a jar. With a bunch yes, of wires going into yeah, it, absolutely, and and every, I mean, every everything, everything the the brain needed was being provided to it, and it was it was conscious, but it was in a fixed location, and unable to move on its own, 
And, and we seem to be hell bent to go down that path. Um, so basically there's something unique about Inglewood. Most, most cities have these really interesting, mm-hmm. slightly eclectic, funky places where people just like to get out and walk, be mobile and have a tactile analog experience. And, and that's really, I think that's, that's where it's going to go for, for retail. If, if, if all you can offer is, is convenience and it's not really a very um, pleasant experience, then you're ripe to lose all your business to online shopping. But, and, and maybe arguably you should. If, that, if your value proposition is convenience, well, that's not strong enough anymore because someone's going to beat you with just basically a conveyor belt to your front door. Exactly, exactly. Um, mm-hmm. But for people that really want to get out and, and see a world that's bigger than their computer screen, you know, touch products, touch people, hopefully after COVID. Um, <laughs> yes, yeah. Hopefully we can give hugs again. Yeah, that's right. Soon. You know, smell, taste, just everything. Everything is so much richer in, in the real analog world. And the digital world will never be able to replicate that. I mean, I mean a good example is, is um, art. You know, we're, you know, obviously I've got interest in art through Esker, but online art sales have been a thing for two decades. But they've never, they've never really taken off. And yet you can see the picture quite clearly online. But there's something about seeing the picture in the flesh that makes buyers connect to it and more willing to spend money. And that's really no different than, than any other kind of retail. So if you're a retailer that has, you know, work on an experience, and of course, getting back to Megan as an example, she's always talking about the SV experience, right? And that's, that's, where you, that's where you have to be, I think, if you're going to be a successful retailer in the, in the future. No, it's interesting having to double down on the fact that just being there or just being convenient or having the thing someone's want isn't enough anymore. If you think of our, our experiential society of our need to feel touched, like everything you described is part of the, one of the, like, all the bliss of benefits of being human to be able to get out there and, you know, get your hands dirty a little bit and touch things and feel things and have good experiences and have bad experiences. That's all part of the journey. Right. So I- curious as a landlord, as a landlord of retail space in Calgary, how's it been? Because clearly takes a degree of, of entrepreneurship and creativity on your part to partner with people like Megan and help them work through their visions and to create these unique environments. How has it been from a, do you feel it's always the drama with the city and taxes and some of the red tape and how has it been as a landlord being able to, you're trying to pave the way for your tenants. Has, has that same thing been reciprocated to you when it comes to dealing with the city or any of the municipal, municipal stuff? This could be a dark road we're going down here, but I wanted to ask. <laughs> yeah, no, the city is, the city is a challenge. Um, mm. I mean, I mean, you, you know the building that, that Megan's in, right? I do. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that was a couple of, you know, uh, a transmission shop, junky old warehouse. I mean, there was almost zero tax base and not much happening there. You know, mm-hmm. we've, we've added over a million dollars of, of tax base a year to the city. There is no, there, you know, there's been no improvement, really, the... The, uh, the roadway on the west end where the Farmer Jones was, it was kind of just a gravel, dirt uh, mm-hmm. street in, in, back in the day. Of course, that's, that's a modern roadway, but that was paid by us 100%, right? Um, mm, interesting. You, know, if, if, if you could argue maybe there's a need for a traffic light around there. If that was to be added, we would have to pay for that 100%. So really, I didn't, I didn't know that it worked like that. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. They're not going to put one on, you know, in their own right, then, then they'll, they'll, they'll take one, but you pay for it. So Uh, they're, they're happy to receive it as a gift. That's right. right. So, so arguably 
arguably, you know, there's an extra million dollars of tax base there where there was nothing before, no capital outlay by the city. And, you know, each year the opening salvo is usually, you know, suggesting an 18% increase in property tax. Yes. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's a struggle. And, uh, um, you know, also a lot to, to deal with the city on, on the building side. And, and again, mm-hmm. you know, it always seems that, you know, it's not like you're working with an ally. Um, same to be said a couple other city services. But anyway, it's, it, it's a challenge, but it, it, in fact, I mean, ultimately, I mean, a lot of people say, well, landlord doesn't care because he just passes the property taxes on to the tenants. Mm-hmm. And that's absolutely true that, you know, that rent as a landlord is normally there's a net rent and, and then there's the charges and the charges so that the, the landlord is supposed to earn the net rent. And then all the costs of running the building are, are carried by the tenants. Um, and obviously you, you need that clear net rent or you would never be able to afford your building or pay your mortgage on your building. But, right. but, but obviously we, we go to bat very strongly to try to keep the costs down for the tenants because if they get too high, then they're not going to be able to do business. Mm-hmm. So we're, so we're back to the, back to the burning your house down from the inside out right. mindset. Exactly. How counterproductive that yeah. is. And that's from your perspective, this is just strictly point of view and obviously a longtime businessman. When you're dealing with the city, is it just culturally? Is it a belief issue? Is it just we're not managing our budgets properly? And I'm always curious because you're not the first person I've had on who's like, yeah, the city is not our ally. And I love the concept of abundance and allyship versus this adversarial sense of scarcity that doesn't really ever prove out successful in business. But if our city and our municipalities are running it that way, and but yet we, the proverbial we, are the ones trying to make a difference and create employment and create tax base. That adversarial nature, like I guess, if we were in, if we were to wave a magic wand, I guess how could we move that aside, or is it just so deeply ingrained in how our municipality runs? Yeah, I, I, w- I wouldn't call it adversarial. I would just uh, I would just call it uh, more of a handicapping. Okay. I mean, I mean, right. no, I, mean no. I mean, I mean, I think most people that work at at the city, you know, have the best interests of Calgary at heart, but the actual deployment of their services um, is a challenge if you're trying to actually make something happen. Um, you know, in in um, when the Atlantic Avenue Art Block was was built, about about a day before we were actually starting to dig the hole in the ground. They, the city came to us and said that the building was too close to Ninth Avenue. It needed, and we said, well, it's where you told us to put it. Well, we're telling you now it has to go back a meter and a half. So that wasn't a case of just picking up the sticks. We had to, at the back southeast corner, we were right up against the, our, our allowable setback. So we had to push the building back a meter and a half. That, and that meant shaving off a meter and a half off the back corner of the building. So, Which is a significant, you have basically starting going back and erasing a whole section of your drawings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Le- yeah. Electrical, mechanical, architectural, and all that. Or, or that, I mentioned that little street with, um, uh, that we had to redo with the farmer, across from the Farmer Jones car lot. So we did, you know, a conventional street with a little turnaround at the end, like a cul-de-sac, and had to submit that to the city. And that's holding up the whole building plan, right? Get that part. And the, uh, the manager in the file said, well, the cul-de-sac isn't consistent with look and feel of Inglewood, so we're rejecting it. Back to you. And each time these, the ball crosses the net, that's like 10000 bucks in months of time. Yes, ten thousand. Yeah, ten thousand dollars and 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 lost in sixty days of lost yeah. time, and the project was also contributes to. Yes, so so we so we so we fixed it and we we redid it with kind of like a straight road to the end, 
sent it back in. But now there's a new a new person on the file. New person says, what are you guys thinking? How are the car's going to turn around? Rejects it back to us. <laughs> I'm, I'm grabbing my head in my hands listening to you talk because the level of frustration, it's it certainly doesn't make it appealing for people to come in and try to do things new. And that's the kind of obstacles get thrown up in your face, in, in your path, I should say. Right, right. Well, we had across, you know, that building across the street, South Bank. We, uh, we have a beautiful uh, rooftop garden there, green roof. Everybody wants that. That's on, that's on side. But we had a, just a wooden pergola on top. And mm-hmm. it, it goes up about 10 feet higher than the, uh, to the 20 meter that the limit that's on the building, even though the city is currently approving new buildings to, to more than twice that height. Because we technically went above the 20 meter limit with this pergola, which you obviously can't see from the street, then that yes. was that then that that building that couldn't be built. So we fought that for you know went into subdivision appeals, subdivision appeals court. Again, more time, more money. Um, yes, pro, yeah. <laughs> and, and I guess the final one we had we had to we had to put up a four hundred thousand dollar deposit for something relating to roads. Uh, right, you know, probably four years ago when we first started the uh, building permit for the South Bank. So the building is finished. It's been finished now for seven or eight months. Um, and we've been battling the city for three months to get our 400,000 back. And nobody's... To get to get your quote-unquote deposit yeah, back. Yeah, that's right. And nobody's, nobody's denying that it, we should come back, but just to work your way through the process. And, and maybe we'll have it in the new year, I hope. So, so anyway, I, I, it's, it's not an adversarial relationship, but it certainly doesn't help. It's certainly challenging is what I'm hearing, like what I'm hearing loud and clear. And there's been lots of controversy around, like obviously taxes being such an easy one to pick on because it gets a lot of optics and it has direct impact on landlords and businesses right along. And I I like what you said. It's not just, yes, it will get passed on by the landlord, but if the landlord is quote unquote now in partnership as they should be with their tenants, then well, we're still all in it together here. And this is a reality. And if you know your businesses are on the edge of survival, especially over the last eight months, passing on another expense it's harder to swallow when you, when you know the impact it could have. Yeah, that's right. Hmm. So any thoughts or comments on the, 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 the real estate situation we have in Calgary? When I say situation, I'm referring to the abundance of uh, empty downtown commercial space. And I know that's not retail and I know you have your pocket over in Inglewood, but curious as a business person who's involved in the city, any thoughts on the road forward for that? Or like, I know there's talk about the tech industry taking up some of it. The oil and gas industry is fundamentally changing and changed every day. Curious on your views on where that, where that might net out as we, as we move down the road on that. Yeah, I, I think that's going to be a real challenge. I mean, I, I, I'm certainly happier that we're trying to make retail work in um, in Inglewood rather than in mm-hmm. downtown. Um, yes, but that's but still that's that, that's a massive spending hole, you know, consumer spending hole that's going to take a long, long time to uh, close up. You know, we also have a we have a restaurant in our Atlantic Avenue Art Block building. And uh, they used to do a lot of work, a lot of business at noon with uh, downtown workers, right? They just got, you know, they were tired of, you know, the stuff in, in the plus 15s or, you know. The, the uh, actually, and, and it's an easy little drive out. There. It's a little easy skip out to Inglewood for lunch, yeah, right? That's right. Yeah. And that, you know, that was, that was a big part of their business. And that is completely gone. There's none of that now. And uh, in fact, they're not even open at lunch now. The, the restaurant are they close? What's and sorry, what's it? The, it's they're right on the corner on the west on the west corner. Are they? Yeah, Scarpettis. Yeah. 
Yes, that's right. I've been there a couple of times, but since COVID, I have not actually. Now that you, now that you say that, it just it would just be somewhere different. I had a friend who always wants to go for lunch, and he got bored of the downtown scene, and that's where we would go. So it's funny. I was like, yeah, I've been, I've had that exact experience that you just talked about, but now I'm working from home, looking down at downtown, not actually in it. So it completely changes the dynamic. Yeah, I mean, I I mean that's a whole. I mean, you could you could talk for a week about what needs to happen and changes in downtown, and you know, I'm, I'm busy enough trying to figure out Inglewood. Um, yeah, but I'm, I'm happy with that. I mean, one thing I, I, I really I find interesting about Inglewood is that um, you've probably never noticed that, but there's these recycling trash bins all up and down Ninth Avenue, and I was never mm-hmm. really that keen on on just the way they were designed. They're already rusting a bit, and I was just kind of curious what you know were they really were they really being used for recycling or what what, what was going in them? So mm-hmm. I, I went down one day. Up and down, looked like a bottle picker, r- rummaging around, look, looking what was in them. <laughs> doing, doing, doing research, doing right. research. But, but, but one thing that struck me was the vast, incredible number of uh, Tim Hortons, um, you know, discarded uh, coffee cups, right? Mm-hmm. Take out coffee. And there was an incredible number of, of, of these Tim Hortons in there. And, and of course, there's, there's a Starbucks on the street, but there is no Tim Hortons nearby in Inglewood. Because quite- no, I was as you were talking. I'm trying to place it in my mind. I'm like, I can't picture a Tim Hortons anywhere in Inglewood, actually. But I know where the Starbucks is. Yeah, that's right. And and, and and even Starbucks that came in relatively late in the game, right? Because for a long time, yep. Inglewood is very strict about not having any chains yep. in there. Mm-hmm. But my point here is that okay, there's these all these all these Starbucks coffees were purchased somewhere other than Inglewood. The Tim Hortons coffees came in oh, on yeah, in the hand yeah, 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 in the hand of a of a person. Yeah, yeah the Tim Hortons, right? And yeah, they, they made a special point of, of going to Inglewood, buying a coffee on the way, and obviously walking the streets and then discarding the cup. Mm-hmm. So, it, it, I mean, it was a pretty graphic indication of how many people travel from all over the city to come and just enjoy walking the streets, interesting street-level retail, and just that experience. Mm-hmm. And I think that I think that's well-placed to you know have relevance far into the future, far into the this transformation to a digital world. Well, I think it's really interesting what you say. If I think about all the traveling I did prior to COVID and the cities I would visit, I would search out those little streets. Like that's exactly where I would go to find the eclectic retail. And, you know, myself personally, I wouldn't go to the big mall that didn't attract me. I wanted to get, I want to go where the quote unquote locals go, whatever mm-hmm. that means. But I think about Inglewood, I live over in Martaloop and Martaloop has a little bit of that right. vibe just in a smaller scale. But I've absolutely on a Sunday just like, oh, let's just ride our bikes over. We'll drive over to Inglewood. It's a destination because you know there's just interesting, whether it's a used or whether it's used furniture or a consignment store, or you can always stop at the knife shop because God knows I always need another Japanese mm-hmm. knife. Like there's so many little experiences you can have there and, and just walking down either side of the street is a completely different experience. Right. Now, I don't, I can't say that about a lot of other places in Calgary necessarily, you know, 17th Ave a little bit, Stephen Avalon a little bit, but Inglewood is in its own little, it's got its own little claim to fame, I think around that. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, I mean, you, you've got to have something distinct like that to survive in retail in the future. So, so <laughs> yes. both uh, myself and Megan and the other tenants there, we're all trying to, to uh, get that word out and encourage that. So curious, do the do the tenants like? I'm assuming there's a there's a pretty active association in Inglewood because it does it just it, it immediately feels like a community. And I know there's been some bylaw changes around even heights of buildings and things that you reference. Has is Inglewood pushing to like? Are they owning that? Or is like are all the tenants and and everybody who has influence there? Is that a is that a shared vision from your perspective of being involved there? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think that yeah, there's a, there's a remarkable bond of uh, residents. 
and um, you know retail business owners um, in in the community of Inglewood. And mm-hmm. there was a tremendous you know pushback on the uh, buildings, these you know vastly taller buildings that the city pushed through um, land use changes for in the last year. There were three of them. Yeah, that was like probably in the last six months, yeah, wasn't yeah, it? That kind of happened. Yeah, well, right? one in January, one in July, and one just uh, recently. So okay. Um, so there's a vision, and the the, the Inglewood Community Association, the, Ingl- uh, the Business Improvement Area, the BIA for Inglewood, they're all on side. Um, the city seems to be less cognizant of of, of what Inglewood is all about, but um, hmm. never, nevertheless. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's it's not it's not hard to get a good conversation going about what do you need to create an interesting interesting community, the value of street level retail in Inglewood. Mm-hmm. Well, there's some of that research, like you know, the majority of innovation or the more majority of anything like that happens within you know two 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 stories of the street. It's not the as the, the innovation or that new or those experiences don't necessarily happen twenty stories up. They happen within proximity to the ground, which is you know I talked to Terry Rock over at Platform and what they're creating and just talking about thinking about how that type of experiential and people banging into each other to create something new actually happens. Right. And it does happen like 30 feet and under kind of mindset, which was a new philosophy for me. I never really heard it, but it makes a ton of sense. And when I think of Inglewood, that's my mental picture is that street level retail that I see if I think of it in my mind. Yeah. And I mean, it's interesting in a lot of, um, a lot of towns where you've got, you know, you've got say 12, 20 story uh, apartment or condo towers, right above retail and you think, well, that's a vast number of people. So the, the retail should do very well. Yet often you find the retail struggling at the base of such high density of people. And there's, mm-hmm. there's lots of, of um, uh, urban design research and theory that says that people start to lose their connection with the street, the higher you go up. Yep. And about four or five stories is kind of the transition where they, they, they kind of lose that connection. And, um, and of course then, then you see, you know, restaurants that are empty at, at the ground floor, but there's Uber Eats guys going right by them steadily delivering food up to the top of the tower. And you say, well, how does that, it doesn't make any sense at all. Well, it, it does because those people in those tall buildings have lost their connection with the street. They might as well not even be exactly. there. That's interesting. Exactly. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I just, I know myself, I used to live in South and in, in, down in the Southern part of Calgary. I, I lived in a front garage community. I had no connection to my neighbors. Mm-hmm. I had no connection to anybody and I moved into Martaloupe where garages are out back. It's a back alley community. I know all my neighbors. I see them out front, my office window. I have a way different connection to the community I live in. That's just simply from a residential perspective. And that was a drastic change. I went from living in an area where I didn't know hardly any of my neighbors to knowing more and becoming friends with them in months of moving into a, a community that pushed you on the street more. Like you just were interacting more with the world around you. Yeah. And it was very different. I would say personally better experience. Absolutely. I think of that from retail. That makes a lot of sense. You know, and what, what you experience with your house. I mean, that's, you know, a front porch meeting your neighbors. I mean, that's not a new idea, yes. right? That's, that, no, that, no, that's no, been around I for would hundreds say of years. One of the oldest ideas, yeah, actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're, we're, and amazing. we really pushed forward the same idea with these tall buildings, but uh, um, we'll see what happens, but. Well, that's time. Time does level it all out. So, curious about your um, the residential space that you said was leased out almost almost immediately. Did you guys do anything different from that as an approach from an architectural or a, kind of the way people live approach to kind of get that to get that type of buy in so quickly, or was it just right place, right time? No, I think it, I, again, it comes back to what we just talked about: is you know the the the, the style of the building and the height. Um, 
you know, we only have, we have retail and uh, four floors are residential above it and, and number of stairwells. So people can take the stairs down. They don't need to take the elevator. Um, it, um, you know, our building is much wider than it is tall. Uh, okay. Where, where typical, typical apartment or condo is in a building that is much taller than is wide. So yeah, because you're minimizing your piece of land that you need to drop that. That's right. On. <laughs> but 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 people don't think enough about what that does to the actual design of the units inside, right? So obviously, outside perimeter space is is really limited. So quite often the the, the units are like bowling aisles, right? They're very long yeah, and narrow, like like, like shoeboxes. Yeah, but you know, and you have you have uh, uh, doors to bedrooms that are frosted glass to let some light in because there really isn't a window proper into the bedroom. Or, yes. or two bedroom apartments where the second bedroom is really more like a broom closet, doesn't have any access <laughs> at all. So, of course, with our bigger footprint, we're every one of our units, the longest dimension is the out, is the outside window side, and they're actually shallower than they are, than they are long along the street. So, so you get more of a bungalow, a bung, main floor bungalow kind of feel. To right, it. right. So every, every every bedroom, one or two bedroom units has a full window in in. The, to the outside, uh, to the outside life. So that just feels better. Even, even on the north side, we don't have direct sunlight. The units are way brighter because, again, we're just playing with, with what we're given. We're now allowed to have way more window space along the outside mm-hmm. dimension of, of the unit. So I think that probably was the biggest thing. The people just walk into it and immediately say, wow, this feels different. It doesn't feel like a, like a shoebox, as you're saying. Mm-hmm. Which the yeah the condo I often stay in Toronto but when I visit my team there pre pre COVID and I stay in a lot of little condos down in that King West area and that's one of my criteria with my office manager she's looking for a place for me like I need some windows I need a, after a week in one of those little shoeboxes with no natural light I, it affects me I'm just not as I'm not as good of a space at the end of the week as I was at the start. Uh, so I'm really hearing a theme running through everything that you do around, like from your involvement of bringing art into your commercial spaces to the way you design, like that, that human experience and, and enriching that certainly seems like an underpinning in terms of that underlies everything you do personally. Is that, I'm certainly hearing that come through loud and clear. Well, you know, the thing about, I mean, our business pays on was rental, right? So, and of course, residential is rental, but when you're in the rental business, Every day is a new sale. Yeah, yes. You know, I mean, yeah, you may have a lease, but eventually a lease is going to run out. So you've, you've, got to, you've, you've got to keep selling yourself, selling your offering every day. You, you know, it's, it's not, not like a one-time sale where somebody goes home with some goods that they really don't like, but they, you, they, you, you've got their money. Um, yes. So Very different when you're engaging in a relationship, not a transaction. Right, right. <laughs> right. And there's, I mean, there's so many ways that you can, you can improve that relationship. I mean, you asked about that about South Bank. The other thing we've done is is bike storage. I mean, every you know every every residential place, multi unit uh, residential building has some kind of bike storage. And of course, you always see bicycles stuck on on balconies, and you know yes, that's un, that's unsightly, and it's hard on the building having the bikes being wheeled up and down all day. But but why do why do people do that? Why do they want to have the hang, hassle bringing the bike all the way upstairs? Well, they do that because most places have some cage in the parkade where all the bikes are stored. Yeah, and maybe it's yes. locked, but the thing is, your bikes are covered in dust because all the dust coming from the cars going by all the time. And if you do have a nice bike there, it's visible from outside the cage, so somebody can break breaks into the cage and steals your nice bike. So yes. what, what we did in South Bank is that all the bikes are stored in a separate room, 
so there's no car dust getting into it. And inside that room, every unit has these these tall lockers where the bikes could be hung up inside the locker, and they're oh, and, wow. and they're, okay. and, they're, and, they're, and they're and they have a solid door. So yeah, you could you could still and and there's cameras, of course, in the in the uh, in the bike storage room. Somebody could you know still in theory break through the locks, break through all the doors, but they're literally breaking through door after door after door looking for the high-quality bike. There, you, you, you've increased the barriers to the point that they're going to go somewhere else, which is the hope. Exactly, exactly. So, I mean, that's not, that's, again, that's not rocket science, but it's, it's, it's improving the experience of your, of your customer. And I guess that's, that's, that is the common theme. You, you, know, you have to give the customer an experience or they're going to go somewhere else. Yes, uh, yes. The consumer has is the ultimate. The consumer is the ultimate decision maker. They can come and go as they choose daily. So, from a going forward perspective, you said you still got uh, available. So, is there certain types of tenants that you're looking for if someone's listening? And go, hey, that sounds like the place that I want to be. From a retail perspective, I'm thinking about starting something new or a more engaged, more experiential business. Is there any type of certain businesses that you're looking for, or, or are you also open to conversations with entrepreneurs to say, yeah, bring me your idea. What is it kind? Of, what concept are you trying to create? And let's see if that fits with my space. Yeah, I think we're obviously looking at, you know, we want, if you've got an interesting idea, we're definitely interested in, in talking about it, looking at it. Um, I, I would say that, you know, post-COVID, um, you know, restaurants, bars, those kind of things are, are definitely going to come back in a big time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, but, but looking at a post-COVID world, I've always, I've always wanted to focus a little bit more perhaps on, on physical things. You know, okay. not, not just, you know, not just something you eat or drink and discard and it's over. I mean, I want, we want to have some of that, but, but, you know, again, like what Megan's doing, you know, physical goods, physical things, uh, something that's lasting. Things you can, things you can actually touch and feel yeah, and that's hold right. on to. And again, though, because again, that's what, you know, that's what's going to hold up if it's done well in future retail. Yeah, and Megan's a really good example and some of the things that she shared in just terms of the way she's pivoted and used online and used video and the amazing creativity that she's brought forward that she said, although still a challenge, has opened up new customer groups. She's engaged differently with customers she's had in the past and provided them a different a different way. Mm-hmm. Certainly, you know, she's such a great role model for you know, not letting like, oh, I guess Amazon's just going to eat my lunch. No, no, no. <laughs> That's they do what they do, but I'm going to do what I do very, very differently, and I'm going to use technology to do that. Mm-hmm. But always making the customer at the focal point, which is something I resonated loud and clear as I as I spoke with her, and I hear that I, I see why you two get along. <laughs> yeah, it's been fun. It's been fun working with her. Never a dull moment as, she, as a, you found it in your meet, in your uh, podcast. Uh, she recording. is a high energy lady. There's no question about it. Yeah, it kept, kept me on my toes during the whole interview process. Well, Jim, I, pro- I appreciate your perspective and certainly like, I, something I resonate with, the experiential side of the economy and the, you know where those things are going to become, I would say, even more important after we as we work our way through this. And you're right. I don't aspire to be um, at home and have everything given to me on a silver platter because there's something that's going to... I think I'm going to be robbed of a lot of life experiences if that's what I... If, that, if that's where it ends up for me, which I think there's a lot of people... There's always a recoil, right? There's always a... We go in one direction right. and we kind of recoil right. back in the other. And Post-COVID, I think it's going to be a very interesting... Well, I, I think there's going to be just an explosion of people that want to get out and experience yeah. and, you know, and, and live in the physical world. 
Yes, because we've been robbed. We've it's been taken away from us, and yeah, what what seemed like a convenience is going to quickly seem like a prison of our own creation. Exactly. So, no, I'm I'm excited for that transition, which I believe will will come. And then when retails retailers like Megan, for example, are there to to provide those new experiences for people, when yeah, there might be the things you order online. I think I think it's like anything; it's just going to diversify, and there'll be things that are in that bucket, and then there's things that you will seek out even more vigilantly to provide those experiences that are not send it to me and let the box show up. The excitement of the box showing up when it's every second day wears off as right, well. <laughs> right, right. Jim, I appreciate your time. If, if anyone was curious and wants to uh, chat with you about what you guys have available from a retail uh, space perspective, how would they get a hold of you? What's the best way? Well, there's um, uh, the leasing agent numbers are right on the, right on the windows. It, I think go, go and have a look at the building and that'll sell, go, go that'll sell you go right get there. Your car and, and there's go numbers right there. That's probably the easiest. Excellent. Well, then, and when you're in Inglewood, go grab a coffee from the Starbucks or the, there's this little coffee shop in your building. Gravity. Yeah, sorry. Right around the corner. Absolutely. Sorry. Not that I have anything at Starbucks, but Gravity, I do love local and they're just around the corner. And then go for a walk and check out the space. But uh, Jim, I really appreciate your insights today. I I value talking to somebody who's doing it, living it and putting his, you know, arguably money where his mouth is on what you believe. So thank you. Great. Thank you for your time, Colin. Thank you. My pleasure.